0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us here at the 2023 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Uh, my name is Khalid McCaskill. I'm a first year MBA here at MIT Sloan. And it is my pleasure to introduce our panel, Player Power, Building Businesses and Empowering Athletes, presented by Wasserman Foundation. Our panelists, Michael Rubin, CEO of Fanatics, Tamika Tramalio, Executive Director of the MBPA, Demora Smith, Executive Director of the NFLPA, and uh, our panel will be moderated by Jessica Gelman from Craft Analytics Group. Uh, the panel will run for 45 minutes, and we will leave 10 minutes at the end for questions. Please submit questions on Twitter using the, play, using the hashtag, hashtag PlayerPower. Uh, questions will then be selected by the moderator. With that, I'll turn it to you.
1: Good morning, everyone. Morning. Thank you all for being here. I'm very excited about this panel. Uh, In prepping and learning about all of the initiatives that you're undertaking, uh, I've come to understand just how much the shift or shift there has been for players uh, across the sports ecosystem. And all of you have been major players in this. So I'm going to get right into it. I'm going to try my very best to uh, prevent swearing. uh, And uh, I got to go.
2: I'll help. (laughs) Both of them.
1: (laughs) but let's have some fun up here so just to start with the shifting nature of player power why do you believe there has been this shift and what was the starting point Michael I'd love for you to kick us off
2: Um, I'd say there's been a few things I I think the first is players um, you know have they make a lot of money from doing their day jobs but they also pay 50% taxes and they can't create you know generational wealth from that so they're saying how can I really create incredible wealth? And so I think they're very focused on their businesses, not just what they do as a sport. And I think they have incredible platforms today. If you think about this, 10 years ago, a player did everything through the media. Today, you know, their social media platforms in a lot of ways are you know, the most powerful marketing vehicle they have. If you look at top you know, NFL players or top uh, NBA players, the ability for them to use social media to communicate their messages, build their businesses, it's a huge opportunity. I think you're seeing, you know, a lot of the, you know, lot of the best athletes in the world are going to create substantially more value from the businesses that they build than what they create in value from doing their day job. So I think it's, um, it, 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 it's a big opportunity for them. And I think, lastly, the interest that you see, like if you walk in a locker room today versus 10 years ago, People are excited to talk about business. I mean, I was just saying last night, you know, Robert Kraft and I had dinner with, uh, with one of Tamika's executive committee members, Grant Williams, and the whole conversation was about business. And, you know, he was so thoughtful and he was asking great questions. And, you know, that's the that, that's the modern, you know, athlete today. They want to build their businesses and they have the assets to do it with social media, you know, to say the least.
3: I I would just sort of piggyback on what Michael said for sure. I think social media has a big part of that. So if you think about LeBron, for instance, he has 140 million followers, the Lakers have 21 million. Steph Curry has half of what Golden State has in terms of followers, or double what Golden State has in terms of followers. So if you look at the power that that presents for them, they've recognized that they can use that platform. We've seen it, whether it's in social justice issues, we've seen it, whether it's in global and how they've been able to reach out globally we have 25 percent of our players now that are global and the reach that they would have had only from the media which would have been predominantly U.S. they now can expand that so I think that's part of where we're seeing that shift
0: yeah I mean I'll come at uh, at it from a different angle Um, I I think it's been about uh, shifts in paradigms Um, when you think of Marvin Miller back in the 70s was the first person to do a group licensing right around a trading card And that was the first person who said that a group of athletes, to your point, Michael, off the field, have a value, have an IP. Um, He took that idea of a group licensing right to a place where NFL Players Inc. right now is generating $300, $350 million a year. One team partners uh, has a valuation of nearly $2 billion. All of that is a paradigm shift of the value of a player's IP writ large. And the first deal that you and I did was a value-based deal on that changing paradigm where the one thing we did differently, and you certainly were, were a trailblazer, instead of the players waiting for the league to do their deal first, the players shifted the paradigm one more time and did the deal first with you, validating the, the perpetual IP value um, of our right. So I think... You know, when you're looking at writ large, from the macro standpoint, the macroeconomic standpoint, um, I think the biggest change has been a paradigm shift in the value of player rights and people understanding who has those rights. Um, and those rights are perpetual. They're evergreen. So it is not a commodity that is ever going to decay on the, the shelf. It's, it's not gonna, there's not going to be an expiration date. Everything that our players are doing on the field... Um, super energizes the value of their group licensing rights off the field.
1: I mean, this concept of empowerment is obviously very, very critical. And um, we're seeing, of course, so much higher engagement from fans because of all of these new channels. Uh, And, you know, you mentioned the social media, which I think is, is so interesting. So when you see a player who's using you know, a platform, their platform, and brand to create change potentially through uh, social media. W- what do you think your role is in helping them? Yeah. I'll start with you, Tamika. But, you know, sure, I some so, good you know,
3: as the union, our role of course is to protect, support, and amplify our players. And since we recognize that this has become a platform for them, we want to make sure that they're equipped to do so. So to Michael's point, our players are phenomenal athletes, but all of them have an and. And I've been so um, using this sort of platform for them to push forward what's their and. Because as we look at all of the individuals that are out there, the way in which they relate to their play our players is by basketball typically but understanding that many particularly of our young generations are not going to get to the point where they will be in the NBA or the NFL I want them to see what their and is and many of them are business entrepreneurs and so even when we I first took on this role we did this phenomenal business titans dinner which Robert Kraft and Michael were there and they talked to them about creating generational wealth about having money as opposed to making money. So that's causing that shift. And quite frankly, as a union, we're making sure that we're preparing them for when the ball stops dribbling and using their platforms right now to plant the seeds that they're gonna need in the future.
1: Was there like a, I mean, from all of your perspective, was there a particular starting point where where players made that actual, oh, recognition? I mean, was it something that you were doing or was there a particular player or moment in time?
0: We got locked out. <laughs> um, and, I mean, we're a labor union, and, and we don't apologize for being a labor union. Um, you know, we've got a great relationship with the National Football League. In 2011, we were locked out for 134 days. Um, that's, a, that's a battle over power. Um, our power is inextricably tied to our ability to take care of our players when management decides that we can't play anymore, right? so. You know, we created an insurance policy that was worth, whatever it is, $800 billion. We were able to pay for that because of our group licensing right. Um, when we did the deal with Michael in 20... That 14. 14. Yeah. Yeah. was a That was a bellwether change because it shifted the way in which we valued not only our IP, but valued our power in the market. Um, and then that next iteration was, um, Uh, was ultimately one team partners where we brought in uh, group licensing rights from other uh, sports unions. I mean, think about it for a second, the U.S. women's national team got their group licensing rights back because the, the, the U.S. soccer had them, and the only reason they got them back was because U.S. soccer considered their group licensing rights to be worth zero. So again, I mean, I, I hate to harp on sort of paradigmic shifts, right, but when someone tells you that your group light, rising lights are worth zero, they come back to the union, and then they are in a position to partner with, with you know, our great business partners on the outside, that's, that's a sea
1: change. I mean, it's clearly a sea change. Look what the U.S. Women's National Team has done in terms of pay equity.
0: Oh, well, and again, they, they fund that lawsuit, right? They fund that lawsuit and they are able to pursue that lawsuit because they have a union that is funded from their group licensing rights. You know, rights without an ability to effectuate them are meaningless, right? So, you know, I look at, especially, and I you know, hate to say nice things about Michael, but... Um,
3: it
2: happens.
0: It happens. <laughs> um, Tamek
2: and I committed to just make fun of you the whole time. I figured, yeah. just, it's, figured coming. it's coming. Figured just it's coming. Just give me like 10 minutes of uh, more time. But <laughs> no curse others. words. Um, I'm gonna curse you, you're um, more proper than me.
0: I can't say how much our deal with Michael changed the landscape. And, and again, you know, we were, we were vigilant about our rights. We're aggressive about our rights. He was the first person to come into the market, recognize our rights, and most importantly, put us in a position um, to value them in a different way.
2: And I, I think for us, look, we, we see our job as the kind of leading digital sports platform as having a great relationship with the leagues and the sports teams but an equally great relationship with the players and at the end of the day our business is really created by players without players we don't have a business and so you know we've we've i think learned over the past you know 10 plus years that having spectacular relationships with the players will lead to a much bigger business for all of us and this is a good thing for the sports industry there's no us against them in this issue this is really a question of making a bigger industry. I mean, I was just thinking about it yesterday. The sports, sports teams today are probably worth a half a trillion dollars. If you just look at, you know, NFL teams, you know, call it $150 billion, do the math, add in soccer. It's at least a half a trillion dollars of, of value from sports teams. We got to get that. How do we create a trillion dollars in value, then $2 trillion of value? And the way we're going to do that is by working together to create more value. And I'll tell you, for us, working directly with Tamika and her players and Dean and his, his players, um, you know, that's created huge unlock for the entire sports ecosystem. And, um, you know, I think we've just got it started. You asked the original question of kind of, you know, was the kind of a paradigm shift? I think it was like the invention of social. I mean, first of all, it was, it was I think, a couple things. Like one, the invention, like, we can't minimize social media. I mean, the platform, as you just talked about, a Bron having a would what, you say the numbers were 140 million times. followers yep. so seven 21. times the followers as the lakers i mean when we think about doing something and we partner with bron on certain things and partner with lots of these guys we want to work directly with their social media to get you know to get it, and them to get out messages that are really important to our fans whether it's for, for a cause that they care about or we care about or whether it, it's um you know by the way a great example you know some people probably remember it a couple of years ago during the pandemic um, when we did the All-In Challenge, we had a million and a half sports fans, um, you know, help, um, you know, create $60 million. It was the biggest digital fundraiser ever. And it was all about leveraging um, athletes, you know, incredible experiences they made in their social media. And that drove the entire experience. It wasn't really, to be honest, that, wasn't, that was 100% driven by the stars, whether it's the celebrities, the athletes, the football players, the basketball players, who created a great experience that then got auctioned off or for charity and it went through their social media that built the entire program raised $60 million over a few months. So it's amazing what um, you know, focused uh, athletes with social media platforms um, can really do to make a big difference.
1: I think that's a phenomenal uh, like point in time because I don't know if we had all thought about how COVID it created more player power. And I think um, as, as I'm listening to you, Michael, like you really are a great connector like you're connecting the ecosystem with the players and then of course with Fanatics, y- you've done fantastic, even equity deals with all of the leagues. So you're in this really fascinating middle place that you're growing the pie and that's, that's, that's really. Well, well, we'll pause on that for one second because what was interesting is, I remember um,
2: probably a decade ago, um, Jonathan and Robert Kraft saying to me, it's great that you're paying the NFL off this money, but we also want to make sure that we are participating in the upside. Mm-hmm. And so our deals fundamentally changed with the leagues at that point where um, the money we pay them what couldn't be the only compensation. They need to kind of be our partners in the business. But when we did that, what well, that also led to saying is, wait a second, we need to do that with the players as well, because if we don't have both sides in our business, we have – no business, and so when we bought Mitchell Ness just a year ago, um, and we got, you know, it was a, you know, look, it's, I'll be public about this, it was a company with, uh, um, you know, called you know, we bought it for four or five times its, its, its profit, put a little bit of debt on it so the equity check to buy it was like two or three times profit, so it was a really attractive investment, and our company wanted to do 100% itself. But I said, I actually want to bring in the best athletes in different sports to be our partner, so we brought in, you know, Joel Embiid and James Harden and KD and LeBron James and, and Chris Paul and Devin Booker and CJ McCall. And We want these guys, and Odell Beckham, and, and, and then we had a bunch of, you know, and we had Jay-Z and Kevin Hart. We want the people that could help make the brand. And so today we own maybe three quarters of the business, but the business is gonna be that much more valuable because the people, and by the way, they put the money in exactly the same way we did. It was all heads up investing, but they're helping to make the business more valuable. So we very much believe we rather own, you know, you know, a smaller piece of a much bigger business, and so having both the leagues and the players as our partners has created a lot of value. And today, just to give you real math, um, the leagues and players probably own a five or six billion dollar stake of our companies. You know, so this is not small dollars here. And you know, and, and and what I see today when I walk into a, you know, when I walk into a locker room, it's not, you know, people aren't looking to yes with me though hey how can i get in that deal i i, by way, I hear it all the time like it's it, you know yeah i've had you i've had both tamika and league and d reach out to me and say hey this player wants to get you because they want to invest in these things because they want to be part of it because the players are be, they're being very smart now they're thinking about hey we want to create we want capital gains, not ordinary income. They want to pay 20% capital gains, not 40% ordinary income. And they want to create real wealth over a period of time and invest their money. Last night, our whole conversation was about investing. How can we take as much of our salary and invest it in the right things to create generational wealth?
1: So, Tamika, as you, you are, as you said at the beginning, help looking and focusing on generational wealth. I mean, which player or these young players who are coming in, how do you help them get it a, and then B, like who is really, really, you, you've seen, like this is a great example of how to do it well. And, and, and you're also, I think it's interesting, you're saying business. That's right. It's a focus on business that the, the players, that like I think, you yes. know, I mean, Shaquille O'Neal in you know, the 2000s, he was making, Music videos and yes, so no, it, absolutely, and he I still makes it is, music videos. He does, he <laughs>
3: does, very diverse. But I will also say that they recognize their power, and you know, even Michael, you know, a couple of weeks ago, spoke to our executive committee. He talked about you are so incredibly powerful, yeah. and the way in which they can do that is by leading from the front, right? So our players, when you talk about who's doing that. So many of them are doing that well, and quite frankly, have been doing it well for a really long period of time. To your point, because of social media, I think they have been able to expedite that quicker. So you think about the CJ McCullums of the world, LeBron, Steph, you know, even names that you don't know, right, that are really focused on that in the technology space. Andre, they are really focused on what they're leaving for the next generation. because All of that is significant. Even as we talk about the union, and as you all know, as as Dee mentioned, we have our group licensing rights as well through Think 450. And through that, one of the things that we often are looking at is how do we build equity? How are we making sure that it goes after the ball stops bouncing? So our players are not only focused on the game of basketball, They're focused on the business of basketball and what that means. That is a shift, but quite frankly, it's more of a vocal shift. The reality is they have always been thinking that way.
1: So um, both of you uh, have mentioned the specific commercial entities that you have built and created to drive player licensing, One Team and Think 450, and you've approached it very, very differently. Uh, You obviously took outside funding uh, brought in a bunch of other player associations. As you said, the value over $2 billion, you said, today. Um, very entrepreneurial. Congratulations. I mean, you've been at the MBPA for a year. And so I um, think 450 is you know, your kind of incarnation of this component. Maybe explain, and you shared a little bit already, about how, how you're hel- helping the athletes from this, to evolve and think about businesses and um, what they're investing into or what they're potentially starting. Yeah. And, and I think the more specific examples of players that you've actually, like, okay, here, that will be helpful.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, our, our model, and, and I tend to be really blunt with our guys, and I'll do my best to get through this without cursing. Um, <laughs> Um, the best model they should have for how to conduct themselves as business is what we've done at Players Inc. and what we've done at One Team. Um, business is a tough, tough place, and I know every now and then we talk about all the wonderful things we're doing at dinner and we do these things. Michael and I have mixed it up um, on on our deals. <laughs> Robert and I have mixed it up on our deals. Um, what comes from that is becoming savvy, confident. Um, and having a platform to evaluate not only your value, but the value that comes from partnering with someone else. Um, So what we try to do, and and, and what's been successful for us, is um, understanding this business for for all of the good and for all of the bad that it is. And it means for, certainly, the young business people out there, if if anybody wants to tell you that this is some sort of sing-songy, it's all gonna be great, well, you know, pack a lunch, Um, um, because it's, it's, you're gonna find out that while you can do great things, sometimes you have to somehow get through the door first, and that first walk through the door is a value proposition between two people. Why is this good for me, and why is this good for this person? And then you try to meet, you know, here. So um, when when we invested in, in Whoop, for example, um, that was our first Tech Day winner back in, uh, I'm terrible with dates, 2010. Um, small company comes in, they say they want to, to replace Fitbit. Uh, they don't have any money, which is fantastic. Um, uh, but we decided to partner with Whoop. We took equity in Whoop, and the primary driver for Whoop was we're going to give Whoop bracelets to all of our players, and and we took equity in that company. That that is the message or that is probably the, 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 the deal that we talk about most to players mm-hmm. because it, got, it gets them out of this idea that they have to have, whatever it is, 150, dollars dollars $300,000 to invest in something. No, our IP is incredibly valuable. And because our, our NFL relationship means that they can wear things under their clothes on game day, um, you can wear a whoop bracelet on the field. So all of a sudden we realize we've got this huge input of, of value um, and we have our players grow from it. So I mean it's that you know, Jessica's that two it's that two pronged understanding of what this is, but also realizing what your value is and what you can invest into this to make it better.
1: I mean, I have to ask in this case, especially with Whoop, where they're now having access to the uh, NFL players, you know. Actual uh, data. Yep. H- how do you manage that component and ensure those those that data privacy rights? That's
0: one of the reasons we went with them. The first deal with w- was that we control their access to player data.
1: Wow.
0: Oh yeah. When I say that we're a union, we're a badass union, yeah. right? And and we believe there we believe in <laughs> we believe <laughs> in protecting himself. our players' rights, and certainly we believe in in, in good deals, but. What was most attractive to us with that partnership was the individual player and the union being able to govern exactly where that data goes.
1: Yeah, that's, that's. uh, I mean, it's incredibly valuable data and I, of course, would encourage you to think about how to monetize that. Um, So, and and so with Think450, can you share some of the, the partnerships that you've done over the past year or so, that and how they're different, how you're partnering and thinking differently um, in scale. Yes, so you're
3: right on point. First of all, Dee, I think, said. The fact that we have our group licensing has been a game changer, right? So in 2017, it hasn't been that long, we have our group licensing. That does give you the power as a player to make decisions, to not sort of have to settle as historically you may have felt like you had to do because you didn't have the capital, right? It's changed the game. In addition, our players wanted their group licensing because they wanted to do things that were authentic to them. Mm. They wanted to show up in the way that they wanted to show up and not sort of dictated how they had to show up. They were really looking for partnerships, ways to partner with companies, with individuals. And so not only are we obviously looking at our players' businesses and how can we help them to be stronger, grow bigger, have equity in our players' businesses so that we're pushing them forward, but we also are looking for ways to have equity in other companies. So Sorare, for instance, as we talked about NFT trading cards and what are we going to do with that? That was attractive to us because it was an ability, to one, to have equity. It obviously also included cash flow, but it gave us the opportunity to partner with them so that the things that they were actually producing on our behalf represented us reflected what our players wanted it to reflect. And so that's critically important to us as well. And when you own it, you can lead from the front, you can make sure that those things happen. And to Michael's point around Mitchell and Ness, you are all in when it's yours, right? And so thinking about it from that perspective, I think it it will continue to change the game.
1: One thing I think about is, um, you know, I was a point guard, so it was always, you know, team and there's no I in team. How do we ensure that the players are still focused on the team aspect, even as they're building out their businesses and their brands? And I think, you know, Michael, as a one-time team owner, maybe you can, like, provide some perspective on that?
2: Yeah, well, I think they're doing both. I think first thing is, they're winning as a team. I mean, I look at what D and Tamika have done with their unions and the way they keep moving them forward from a business perspective and doing bigger and better deals as a union. And by the way, just in what we did in the last two years, we created a trading card company together where each of of their unions have made hundreds of millions of dollars already, and we we were just starting, okay? And we haven't, you know, know, I think, you know, the innovation is going to happen in the collectibles industry over the next few years is going to be mind-boggling to collectors and so exciting. At the same time, um, what's happening is... The individual players and the members of the union are getting so much more sophisticated by watching the unions advance, and that's helping them from a business perspective individually. And, like, look, I love to study. You can look at, you know, look at the biggest, you know, stars in, United you know, you look at LeBron. Forget about everything he's done on the court. Look at what he's done from a business perspective. He's created a very successful media company, you know, Blaze. He's got a, a chicken. I mean, this guy's got business after business that's, you know, created... Hundreds of millions of dollars of value for himself. Look at Tom Brady in football. And all No, the value. no not yeah. going to look at him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know it hurts you to look at such a studly <laughs> man for yourself, um, but you know, look, look at Tommy and you know, the, yeah. the value he's created. And then you look, but what you look is they're all. You know, everyone's learning from each other. And so I like that the unions win as a team, and that the players are learning from that and then taking that individually. I will say the thing that's most amazing to me. There's not a day that goes by now where, you know, a current player in the NBA and the NFL and in baseballs hitting me up. You know, I'm getting a DM from saying, "Hey, can you help me think this through?" I'm getting questions all the time because they they want to be students of business because they they realize, you know. I think 10 or 20 years ago, people thought if they, you know. If they were just really successful as an athlete, maybe 20 years ago, that was enough. Now they're saying, no, that's my, that's my platform to do so much more. And I think it helps every which way. It makes the league stronger, because stronger players makes the league stronger. The leagues make the players stronger. Everyone's making each other stronger. So I don't think it's a team or not team here. I think it's they're winning as teams, they're winning as you know, partnerships, and they're winning as individuals. And I think that's great. Well, I think what, and, and Tamika knows
0: this, one thing that we have to preach within our own ecosystems is team. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no I in team, but there is an M and an E, as my coach would say. Um, th- what we have to do is make sure that while you have your brand as an individual, you are also al- adding value to our, our, our team through our group collectibles. And and so, you know, if you want to use six or more players in the National Football League, you have to do a deal with, with us. If you want to use players in a group, uh, you have to do a deal with, with um, Think450 what we do um and i'm sure tamika does it in a much nicer way than than i do is just remind i can confirm that by the way yeah yeah well you know uh it's a tough business um but you know you take a guy like tom brady who's well frankly tom brady right um tom tom's a union tom brady and and yes you know he makes money off of his number one jersey sales year after year after year after year um, but Tom also knows that he is a part of a group licensing right in a, in a wonderful company called Fanatics. And the way that we teach team or reinforce team is, you know, your union owns equity in this company. So no one, is an, no one is a flyer. No one is on a one-off. Everybody can win both collectively and individually. And as long as you do that, you know, reinforce that value proposition, um, I will say... Um, you know, talk a little bit about headwinds, mm. I do worry a little bit about that given the change in NIL mm. um, coming forward. Um, it'll be obviously for, for somebody hopefully younger uh, who has my job um, in, a, in a year or so, but I do believe that that could be a significant headwind because we've never had to deal with um, that type of, of athlete who might have a different journey Um, than than before, and and whether... We've never really had an issue of somebody trying to opt out of the group licensing right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whenever it did happen, they walked out the back door and I'm just saying, stuff happens. Stuff happens. I don't know. Just fall down. Stuff happens. Um, But I think what's going to be interesting is how we, you, cultivate that sense of team in the next 10 years in an ecosystem that looks dramatically different than it does now.
2: Well, the thing is, for us, by the way, we have... If you really think about this, both in all of the apparel we make, so we make you know all the NFL jerseys yeah. that have Nike's name are made by Fanatics. So we make all those Nike jerseys, we make lots of NBA jerseys, we make all the baseball jerseys. So we have deals collectively with the unions in apparel jerseys, also in trading cards where we make all the trading cards and we'll make the trading cards over time. But then we have 3,000 individual deals with athletes, both to sign memorabilia in our memorabilia yeah. business, in trading cards, we have marketing deals with these athletes. And so, college. right. And college has become very significant. So my point is yeah. we're doing it as a team and we're doing it individually, yep. and that's the business model.
0: Look, that's why, that's why we agreed to do the, the college the deal, right? Because I like the idea of introducing to the college athlete this idea of group licensing right. Mm-hmm. And, and, yes, it's a great deal for us. But philosophically, the reason why I agreed to do that deal was exactly that, to try to cultivate this idea of group licensing right on a college level.
3: And I think from our perspective, I am incredibly fortunate that our it is never lost on our players that they are standing on the shoulders of Giants. I mean, real Giants, right? And so they recognize that the people who've come before them made incredible sacrifices. So even giving back, you know, to the ABA, making sure that they're taken care of, making sure that our retired players are taken care of, so they get the importance of the collective. You are certainly right, Dee, that there will be challenges, but I, I do think I have an incredible generous and empathetic group that recognizes how important that is so I I think we should fare well but it is something that we're going to constantly have to remind them of for certain I know Dee's like yeah she might be naive because individuals always but I also appreciate that they do recognize that it took a lot to get to where they are
0: yeah I mean look we we have a our entire business is shifting I think much faster over the next over the last two years and the next 10 years i think there's more seismic waves in our business um within the next five years than there has been in the last 50. um i mean when i took the job there was no instagram right um which is terrifying and we're talking about the power of social media w- what is that thing going to be in 10 you know in 10 years and i think um you know these challenges um I, you know, I just don't have answers to, we don't have answers to. There's gonna be mass consolidation, for example, in the agent market. We're seeing it right now. Um, and that is going to have a significant impact on our business. Um, there's gonna be a rise in the impact of marketing agents on college athletes in a way that we've never seen before. So you know, from where, you know, where we sit, you know, we inherit a player from another, another place. For the most part up until now, we've inherited them in a way where they become professional athletes and then that's a kind of a door, right? Mm-hmm. And then we teach them or have them grow in that door. What's happening now is that door has several or more doors before they get to us. And I think how we navigate this space over the next five, 10 years is gonna be really, really interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what, you, that comment that you made about the consolidation of the agent market, I mean,
0: Look, we have 850 uh, certified contract advisors. I mean, we were the first union to start certifying advisors, I think, in 1975 or something like that. Out of that 850 agents, probably 130 of them have an active um, NFL player. Out of that 130, 40 probably represent... 85% 85% of all NFL players.
2: Four four might be four of them might be half, yeah. by the
0: way. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I mean, they're all in separate places, right? Yeah. I mean, but, but yeah, you take that 40, 10 of them are all in four separate agencies. Yep. Um, you know, well, there was a time when, I, I'm just not mentioning anybody sort of, you know, for any reason, but, you know, Joel Siegel was Joel Siegel. Tom Condon was Tom Condon. Jimmy Sexton was somewhere else. Joe, um, Drew Rosenhaus was somewhere else. Um, Macklin was somewhere else. What we've seen over the last few years, though, is some of those people have, have joined their practice with larger practices, and there is just
2: consolidation. Yeah. So I think that's a good thing, by the way, because from my perspective, I think you're... I mean, look, you may have a different yes. view from the reaction you had. I sure. think it's a good thing, because I think what you have is, as you know, you have a... Smaller amount of, of big firms that, that have real resources across all of the required you know things that need to happen, like, yeah. I look and say it 's not just about getting someone 's contract done this. You know I can look and I look at the best firms help their um, you know their players with what are the philanthropic things they want to do and they have a platform team just to help with that and what's the, you know who does their marketing deals and who does their business deals and who gets them equity deals so I, I think yeah. having the quality like I can look when I look at, I, I can look at an athlete today, and he can tell me who he works with. I can ask a few questions, and I can have a pretty good guess of how their business um, career will go outside of, of of their sport. And so I think it is very important to have the right resources behind these players to get them the right type of success.
0: No, I think that part's good. I mean, the the, the flip side of it for anybody, you know, the, the the union problem issue on the other side though is when you have that level of consolidation. Right, and I'm just saying, I'm making up a hypothetical because this would never happen, I'm lying. Um, (laughs) You could have leagues make handshake agreements with now four uh, companies who represent 80% of our players and while we have a parallel relationship with agents, we all want our players to make money, we all want them to get contracts, every now and then a union might decide that we have to take a labor action. And if there is now only four people who are managing 85% of our players and somebody on the other side of my table, you know, an adversary, first letter N, second letter F, yeah, play along, um, that could create a world where because we only have parallel relationships as opposed to completely aligned relationships, um, that, that could create a problem. And by the way, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's changing.
3: And that uh, you've thought about it quite a bit, actually. All I do is this, um,
0: uh, and watch lacrosse. Um, no, but, but look, I mean, where there is great opportunity um, from that, though, to your point, look, if, for example, I think one of the most exciting things that, that, um, that is on the horizon is the fact that because there is so much consolidation, think about how much... Uh, of an opportunity there is for content, and for other things, because now you can go to four places and frankly get eighty eighty um, NFL players to to
2: around different things to do. I think that's fantastic from a business. Look, the re, the reality is in business, nothing is ever just like straightforward, hundred percent easy. No, and there's always pros and cons to 100%. everything. Yeah, I think there'll be more pros than cons to consolidation because I think the athletes and players will be. Um, Better represented if the talented agents that get more resources across a different spectrum of things. Look, if someone's a, a one-person shop, it's going to be harder for them to be an expert. It's like it's like someone trying to create an e-commerce store against fanatics. I mean, we have we own one point. $3 billion of inventory that we regionally distribute throughout the world, you know, we, we have a structural advantage. I think the bigger agencies, you know, should have structural advantages. Right. So you're pointing out some weaknesses, but that's just that's
0: business. No, no, it's just business. <laughs> yeah, but remember, we have two sets of agents, right? Um, so ju- just for the folks and for the students, so we're not talking past each other. We have contract advisors. And when I'm talking about consolidation in the market, I'm talking about consolidation in the market for the individuals who are doing their team contracts. Marketing advisors, you know, where we're doing our business, is still disaggregated enough where it's fine. There's going to be mass consolidation there. But to your point, I think that's where we're going to see the, the, the massive increases um, in the things that we can do together on the marketing side. What keeps me awake at night. Um, is sort of the contract advisor side
3: yeah I mean I think too with our agents what we have seen especially the larger ones they are helping them even with their businesses right they are sure assisting them with are they doing the right thing with regards to their brand so to Michael's point I think it is true that they will have more scale as a result of sort of bringing it down but also appreciate the risk there is no question that is a risk
1: it sounds like there's um a, a bigger part of the pie to grow here to align yep. uh, that, that agent the agent groups uh, with what's, what is happening with the player associations, with the leagues, with the brands. Um, so you know Michael, the great collaborator, collaborator you're up. Um, I, uh, I think that I mean this has been really really interesting. Thank you all for the thoughts. One of the challenges as the players have had more power, of course, is that they have more exposure. And what I mean by that is uh, risk. So, what are the what? How are you helping the players protect themselves? You know, maybe from comments that they've made and uh, that could cause controversy and stuff like that. How are you helping them with that part?
3: Yeah, so I'm sure you want me to take that one. I sure do. <laughs>
1: so I you don't I will, deal with any of yeah, that, right? I don't right? deal with any of it,
3: but I will say there's two things around that. The first is we are certainly in a cancel culture, right? And so we have to make sure that our players are educated on how they are using social media, right? And that they're setting up appropriate boundaries. And we're teaching them about that, right? They do not, when you have 140 million followers, have the ability to just put out anything, right? And that's where the challenge is. And quite frankly, I don't think our players automatically recognize that, right? It it didn't seem like a big deal to post something, but now they recognize they've got to think through, you know, the pros and the cons of the things that they post all of them that oftentimes the outcome doesn't actually represent the input and they have to understand the connection between that. And so we have spent some time with them on that. The other part of it, if I, if I may take a few liberties, is the world of social media can be incredibly cruel. Yeah. So we have done a study on the things that are happening with social media and the comments and the angst and mm-hmm. the anxiety that it causes our players. Mm-hmm. You know, even from my standpoint, and very limited. And Michael teases me because I don't have enough followers. So I, I was just say I'm gonna start. i trying to encourage him to help me to grow my followership, but I have. Recognize that it's important to have these boundaries because some of the things that you read are really difficult to stomach.
0: No, no. And
3: so, yes. No. Yeah. Okay. And I'm the sorry, thing yes. that's so interesting about it is, I know you're sorry. <laughs> the thing that's so interesting about it is, is immediately when the first time that something terrible happened and I said, I can't believe this, I said, you're not supposed to read the comments. Like They all know this rule. You're not supposed to read the comments. I didn't know that rule. Those are the things that we have to teach them, but when we did our study, we looked at the things that people were putting on social media. It is horrific, not only in our sport for the men, but for the women. It's terrible, and I'm grateful that we have partners like Michael, like the partners we have in 2K that immediately go and shut those things down. We can go to them and say, we can't have that out there. This is damaging for our individual player brand. It's damaging for us as a collective. That has been really significant, and they have to recognize that you know, even with all those things that are good about social media, they have to be protected. And part of it stems from their input as well.
2: Here, here's the here's the good news, though. This is the definition of a high quality problem. We have players that have become that much more important and powerful yeah. that are building much bigger businesses that have incredible marketing tools that they can go direct to consumer whether it's in their communications building their businesses and as a result, as a result of that they've got challenges and so that's like like to me this is like what you dream of in business i mean there's no
3: it's like what michael dreams of in no business. i think <laughs> i yeah, this, is,
2: this is no a, but I, I think if you you're right asked, if you asked if you were to vast Braun 10 years ago you know if you could have 140 million followers, would you deal with X, Y, and Z? He'd say, of course, that's a high quality problem. The same thing for, you know, really, any of the players in the NFL and the NBA, really any sports, I mean, these they really have real marketing platforms. They use it to make the world a better place. They can use it to build their businesses. They can use it to communicate what they want. They can use it to make fun of D, which is something I easy. enjoy doing. It's easy. To me, and when you have much.
3: 140 million followers, you don't have time to read the comments. Or I like, that, can actually read the comments.
1: Well. I mean, I think what's really also just kind of resonating for for me is that, in part, the player associations are, I mean, you're like the coach of everything for the players. It's not just, um, here's how you, you know, you're, you're, what's happening on the field, and but it's like broader, and even like, you know, the, if they need to change agents, the I, I, it's really fascinating. There's so,
2: these guys give yeah. their players so much help, the amount of times Dear me, Tamika will call me and say, hey, I need you to do this for this person, or hey, can you introduce me to that person? They're working in the front and behind the scenes. Yeah. Every day, and there's no break from it. It's, it's a 24-7 role. Um, they're working their asses off for for their players. It's kind of amazing to watch.
1: Well, I have have a question for you specifically. Um, Obviously, Fanatics is growing like crazy. You recently raised uh, $700 million in December, which brings your valuation to $31 billion. Congratulations. So what is next for Fanatics, and how does it connect to player empowerment?
2: Yeah, for us, we're in three primary businesses today. The business we started in, which is, is really merchandise, we call it commerce. That's a it's a six point three billion dollar business this year. Um, you know that business has tremendous growth ahead of it. We have you know it's mostly e commerce, but we own thirteen hundred lid stores. We have um, you know we own Mitchell Ness. We have you know we have multiple brands, but the, the biggest business is the Fanatics website, the NFL Shop, NBA Store, etc. Uh, we have great growth ahead there. We have our our collectibles and trading card business, which we've only been in now for a little more than a year, and and I couldn't be more bullish about the product innovation, the marketing innovation. We think there's great growth there. And then we just started in gambling. Uh, We actually took our first bets um, from mobile gaming yesterday in Tennessee, and uh, we're very ambitious in that area. So really what we think about is creating the only digital sports platform and really giving the digital sports fan anything they'd want to do. And so we love the three businesses we're in, There's a lot to do in these three businesses we're not rushing into anything new over the next couple years we think we could 10x the company just in these three businesses so today we're you know if you count the rights that are moving into us um some of the nfl and nba trading card rights that will launch you know over the next few years um the business is about nine billion dollars in in revenue today and you know there's so much growth just in in the businesses in the business that we're in but like long term we believe it's our role to innovate for the sports fan. It's our role to innovate for the player. And I think there's probably no company that wakes up and goes to bed more thinking about how do we do the best job that we can for the fan? How do we do the best job that we can for our partners? And how do we collaborate as closely as possible with the players? Because without everybody, we got nothing.
1: Yeah, and I think there's some there's some um, there's some interactivity that you're thinking about too. Um, around loyalty maybe and yeah no look
2: we're gonna you know i I don't think it's secret at this point we we think um we have a chance to create a loyalty program that you know every real sports fan will die to be a part of when you think about all the assets that we have at fanatics we have not only the three businesses we have early access to trading cards and quick delivery merchandise and first releases of products and you know, better odds in gaming and we have, you know, access, we have deals with 3,000 athletes and we can create dinners and we can create experiences and we can create, you know, you know, you know, we're we're launching, there's so many things that we're going to do within our loyalty program. So our goal is to have, you know, fanatics have a multi-tiered loyalty program that, um, really gives incredible experiences to fans. It's something we're very focused on. Think about like, a company I look at with great admiration is American Express. They have multiple tiers of credit cards and multiple tiers of loyalty, and they do a good job with that. And you know, I think we have um, you know, just a massive opportunity from, from loyalty as an example. That's going to really support not only the, th- the three businesses we have, but everything we do in the future.
1: So, like we talked a little bit about the challenges of the of the or the risks for the athletes and um, the player power, obviously is not just on the business side and interacting with fans at the trade deadline for the NBA that just passed. We saw the most trades ever, forty nine. So, you know, how are you engaging with the league about these changes that you're seeing?
3: Yeah, so it's a quite interesting dialogue. As you know, we are in the middle of CBA, so I won't go into grave detail. But what I will say is that for sure we're seeing the power of the player, right? We're seeing that they're thinking about making their own decisions, quite frankly, not that they haven't been historically, but we're seeing that tremendous change in that marketplace. 49 is the most we've ever had, right? And so I think it does show the power that the player has. I also think that it shows the competitiveness of our league, right? We had a great first half of the season and there are many teams that now feel like they have a playoff run. And so as they think about, do I just make an exchange here, make an exchange here, and I could go to the playoffs and then to the finals, it makes sense to do that. So I think it is increasing too the competitiveness of the game, but I think all of those dynamics are at play.
1: Uh, so as you guys are looking into the future, um, what, what is the innovation that you're hoping to drive, whether that's, you know, Fan engagement or technology, like that, that you you are most excited about.
0: Um, as luck would have it, last night I was watching Grey's Anatomy because I'm that sensitive show. that way. Yeah. Um, that makes sense, by the way. Tells a lot about um, me, just me. Um, and then, you know, anyway, they were talking about uh, one of the doctors was doing was talking about an ACL repair surgery where for the first time this doctor, instead of replacing ACL from from a a patellar tendon or somewhere else, some other tendon from your body, they were using this this revolutionary technology where they were actually growing ACL, um, your own ACL in your body. Mm -hmm. We own that. We invested in that procedure in 2017 with a fantastic doctor from Harvard, connected with her uh, through through our Harvard uh, uh, Medical Research. Amazing technology, we put some money into it, a lot of others put some money into it. So, you know, watching that, you know, randomly pop up on this show last night was, you know, a little bit of a weird experience. But where do I see innovation for us? You know, in the same way that sort of fanatics thinks about it, you know, on on um, sort of a waterfall of of opportunities. I think medical technology, medical innovation, things that we find out because of the the business that our, our people are in. Um, and being in an opportunity to to grow that or scale that, if it's something that we think can have a revolutionary impact on their health and safety, that's what I think is going to be one of the most exciting things
2: in the future. So different than D. I was not sitting in bed cuddled up watching Grey's Anatomy. Just stop. I was actually out with Robert Kraft and, and a and a very smart basketball player, learning from each other and and trying to see how we can innovate our business. D. Thanks for the call. No, I was yeah. sitting there by myself. Um, it's fine. But 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 um, you, you, you know. For for us, um, we're thinking about how to make the experience for the fan and everything we do better. Because nothing that we do today is near good enough, and we need to go through every part of our business and say, how do we do it better? And I think as you get bigger, one of the things you need to do is keep breaking shit to make it better. Okay, and so we got a lot of that to do. I look even in our biggest business, in our merchandise business there are a thousand things that I look at that bother me. We're figuring out how to get packages faster, how to have more diversity of products, how to communicate with our fans better, you know, how to, so, and you can just go through business by business. So I think, you know, that's the job of our leaders. You know, we have 18,000 people now Fanatics and, wow. and people need to wake up and go to bed and say, how do we innovate for the fan? And I gotta tell you something, you know, we're, we're, you know I'm not remotely satisfied, we're never gonna be satisfied.
1: This is our 10-year anniversary at Sloan. You're- Happy anniversary. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's, wow, that's 18,000 people, that's unbelievable. It is, and I, I would say for
3: me, the technology that we are most excited about is what we're going to be able to use to grow the pie, right? grow the pie for the league, grow the pie for the players. That's what's going to be significant for us. So using technology in that way will make a huge impact. And I think the other piece of that is growing our MBPA brand. You know, I just being in this role for the last year, it was shocking to me to learn that people didn't know about the PA. They didn't recognize that that, the PA is the players, that's the players. The league is the governor's. And so the many times I've had to tell people what that is, so if there is some data analytics, et cetera, that can help us to grow our exposure, help us to grow the brand for the PA, that's something that I'm incredibly excited about. And I'm hopeful that the next time I can talk about the shift that we're seeing for our brand.
1: I'm going to take a couple questions from the audience. Uh, So this one is really interesting. As we know, some players choose to represent themselves. How does this affect their relationship with brands, and how do leagues ensure these players are able to successfully market themselves?
2: I mean, look, I've seen several players successfully represent themselves, and I've seen several players unsuccessfully represent themselves. So I'd say it's a question of, does the player have the sophistication, and then do they lean on uh, Tamik and Dee's organization for help? So as an example, Joel Embiid, who played for the team that I used to own part of the Philadelphia Sixers, represented himself in his last negotiation, but he leaned heavily on the the, um, Tamika's organization for help to make sure that he didn't miss a thing. And by the way, he was impossible. He represented himself really well. He didn't miss a thing. He drove us crazy and he got a great outcome. And so uh, that's a very successful outcome. I've also seen people who have done a horrific job that I won't name. So I think it's a question of does the player have it? Many do. Um, And then do they lean on the right resources, you know, whether it's from the unions or from other people, but it could definitely work well.
3: Yeah, and our goal really at the union is to represent and assist the individual, Mm -hmm. but it's also the collective, right? And so it is, our success is tied into their success. So whether it's in representation of them in determining their own contract, or quite frankly, whether they're partnering with you know, Fanatics, for example, and then we have a deal with Fanatics as well. Like we've recognized that we do have to work together because all of that has to grow together. So I think we have found a really good way to combine our efforts there because the success for them individually is the success collectively as well.
1: So Dee, I have a specific question for you. Fantasy and sports betting have been huge drivers of NFL viewership, but many players seem resistant. Do you view this as an opportunity moving forward for players to lean in and build their brand as well as the NFLPA's group licensing power? Um,
0: You know, I I think that gambling, um, talk about headwinds, that's a whole nother conversation down the road. I I think gambling certainly has driven fan engagement. Um, I think where, I think one of the reasons you see um, fan, uh, uh, players staying away from even dipping a toe in that for a lot of reasons is because there is such a ambiguity between what the rules are. Like we have a gambling policy that has X, Y, and Z, but yet on the other hand, we've got a commercial agreement with the league where we're partners in gambling. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think that, I think that in reality, we both, both the league and, and the players are probably missing out because of the ambiguity um, in the rules. Both of us are missing out because no one really knows which rules, which rules govern. Um, we tell our players, obviously, to be very careful about the gambling space. Um, fantasy has been something that, you know, from, from the beginning of fantasy, man, just for some reason, our players just aren't, like, really into fantasy. And I think there's a couple of guys who, who like it. But as far as engaging fans on fantasy, weirdly, we have found that fans who are big fantasy sports people, mm-hmm really don't like real athletes being involved. I think part of the fantasy thing is you are the GM, you're the coach, you're the person making the decisions, and this idea that you would have an active player like advising you on those things kind of is a buzzkill. Um, So, you know, again, it's a growing category for us, but going back to the gambling piece, I think that's why there is such a hesitancy to, to to even do it. I mean, we're we're working through a morass of a issue right now, you know, between the league and us on where does the gambling policy start and where does the commercial uh, um, uh, agreement begin. But you know, that's the wonderful vagaries for boring lawyers, right?
1: So here's another one. Uh, maybe Tamika, you could you could uh, take this one. Uh, what are the specific ways you are curating educational space? sorry, spaces to teach your athletes how to manage their money and build their platforms?
3: Oh, that's a great question. And, you know, that's the finances near and dear to my heart. So, you know, in addition to we have our chief of player engagement here, Krista Chen, they are looking at How do we make sure that they can relate? How can they be engaged in terms of understanding finances? And again, as I started today, the difference between making money and having money, right? That's significant for them. So we have the experts come in and talk to them about that. Even at our business site and dinner, we had the CEO from Goldman Sachs, David Solomon, who came in and talked to them about that. I have also learned from our players that they love hearing from the governors. They want to hear how they've made money. They want to hear what are the things that they're doing. So practical application has also been significant. It's one thing to sort of teach them about credits and debits because they actually have people that are doing that, but they need to know how to ask the right questions. And so we're preparing them such that they can ask the right questions, but they also need to be able to relate. of their educational experience, from my perspective, is the exposure, and being able to meet with people like Michael gives you that.
2: I was gonna say, Jess, within, so, Tamika took her job, I think, last January. Dee called me up and said, hey, I'd like you to meet a good friend of mine, can we come see you? Dee brought Tamika to meet me, and within an hour of meeting her, Tamika informed me that the All-Star Game, which was next month, that she, I was gonna be helping her to set up a dinner, and could I get great people to come to this dinner to meet with her players, and I had, Robert Kraft, and I had David Salmon, who runs Goldman Sachs, and I had Magic Johnson, who's obviously been very successful from a business perspective, and I had Andrew Sorkin, who hosts CNBC, and I had Robert Smith, who's the richest African-American you know, business person in the country, actually, and I think in the world, uh, at this dinner. Um, and that was Tamika's way of saying, hey, I've been, you know, I've been on this job for about a second. I've known you for about an hour, and by the way, I need you to help get great people to meet with our players. And I get calls like that from Tamika, from Dee, All the time saying, "How do we foster this learning?" and that just makes everyone smarter, everyone better. By the way, I get a lot from that too because I'm learning, I'm listening to these discussions, I'm taking takeaways from fanatics, and so every one of these are great two-way interactions. Yeah, I will also say,
3: Michael for sure leads from the front, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the reasons that we are in business with them is because they're innovative, but also that they are a partner in every sense of the word. He understands what our objectives are, and he helps me to make sure that that's happening, right? He also exhibits the same values that our players exhibit. So when they think about what can they do to give back to the community, when they think about social justice, Michael is in there. When they think about, you know, philanthropy, Michael is in there. Those are the traits that we want. And so teaming up with partners, because we get to choose who we want to do work with, right? That's why we have our group licensing. And so to be able to have partners that really, truly want to partner, I'm hoping I'm going to say that we're a partner and power to the player a lot today. I say family. Family. That people are getting kids. That's the distinction.
0: I'm not going to say anything nice about Michael. Say, I was going like, to say No weeks Nothing. nothing nice. no No, no, no. no, no, no. Never come out I, I don't want to say anything nice about Michael. Done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, this has been a fantastic, sorry, a fantastic discussion. So I'm going to just share my takeaways because I learned a ton. So let, let me start at the top. The first is um, the comment about the impact of NIL. And that's kind of remains to be seen and I think is collectively something that the professional sports industry needs to be thinking about. Yep. So we continue to have this growing of the pie, Michael, as you said, to bring people together. Uh, the second is around this learning from challenges. The fact that one team, in many ways, generated out of a lockout, then the group licensing and the partnership with Michael, that's just really powerful. And I think seeing that growth is really amazing. Um, the investing that you all are doing that is going to support the players into the future with, with player safety or ACL example and so rare is just really, really powerful. And then um, uh, the last thing here that I took away, I love that you did that study on the social media of mental health, and I think we should all be reminded, don't read the comments. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Hey, can
0: I say one more thing? Hey, For, sure. the, students, for the students out there, because I'm a, I'm a degenerate, I just keep teaching and teaching and teaching, yeah. hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I think one of the best things that you do, uh, Jessica, not only with this, this event and uh, what you've always done is have a large input of students being a part of this, Um, so, you know, if there's questions, comments, uh, if, if they're nice comments, send them, if they're not, don't, don't send them. Um, but you can find me on LinkedIn and, um, I think we're looking to all of you to really take us to the next level, uh, in the business of sport. Thanks.
3: Thank you. Thank you you all.